Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. We do that. Um, I want to address something that was posed as a question in regards to um, something that I said couple of weeks ago in a sermon as we were talking about, I don't even remember exactly where I was going with it, so I'm just going to kind of pull this out of the sermon. And, and it was to a point of transcendence, um, because it really kind of speaks to something that we, we will get into tonight as it pertains to um, the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, sometimes we have a problem understanding God's infinite being because we're processing it with a finite mind. Okay, so that, that alone can really preach a lot of different messages. So what we as people do, we throw out uh, doctrinal positions like election and basically say that if God knew who would be saved, then he's determining who will be saved. That's wrong. And it's wrong because you're trying to marry how a, an infinite God can know who's going to come to him without controlling who comes to him. It's very clear. And this is, when you get into, you say, well, Mark, where's this coming from? When you get into Calvinism, for example, and I don't want to talk a lot about this, but this is how the question came about as it pertains to salvation and as it, contain, as it pertains to creation is it's really man's way of trying to reconcile something that the human brain will never be able to reconcile. That, that's it in a nutshell. For example, how can a spirit being create real matter? And, and really and truly, that, that's, that's easy. That's super easy. You, you cannot have creation without a creator. The two have to go hand in hand. They operate in tandem. Now you say, Mark, can you prove that? I, I can prove that with everything you see that you can touch, feel, smell, taste, what have you. It had a creation. And, and so there's all of these angles that, that scientists attempt to take to explain away something that's explained in 10 words in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That makes more sense, in my opinion, takes less faith to believe that than it would the process of evolution that there was this explosion and things became, over time, more organized. That goes against the grain of anything else that we know. That's like saying that I can walk into an airplane graveyard where all the parts of airplanes are, and if I leave it alone long enough, it will somehow work itself back into a 747. That makes no sense. But yet, there would be those who would expect us to believe that that's exact, exactly what happened with the human body. That's insanity. So then comes the question then, so how does God live outside of that? And the reason this came up is because I was giving you Abraham's, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And there's five of them that start with the basic need of humanity, which is air that we breathe, water we drink, so forth. And then it goes all the way up to the top. And that top pinnacle of that pyramid is when a person realizes their full potential and begin to live it out. 
here, and here was the problem. This is what I added to it. I'm not going to get into the showing it to you. I just want you to hear my heart. Abraham Maslow, before he died, I believe he died maybe in the 70s, 60s, 70s, he came back and said, hey, by the way, there's one more above that. But because they drew this in psychological circles as the top of the pyramid was when a human being, when the human mind, when a person realizes their full potential and they begin to live it out, he couldn't really build another top to it. So he just kind of drew a line over here and he called it transcendence. And with that, he was saying that now in the doxology of my life, I've realized that there's more. Meaning, there's more than your full potential. There's what's called God-given potential. There's more than that. There's a higher level than that. He didn't know what to do with it, so he called it transcendence. And, and here's what, where the question was asked to me. Is how can a God who is spirit being create people or matter that you can touch? And it really is simple. It's just like, it's, it's like other behavior. It's like love. It's like anger. Those are spiritual, inanimate things that affect and effectuate through our life. They're very real. It's like somebody said, uh, can you prove that God exists? Well, listen, let me, let me say it to you this way. God who transcends time, space, and matter created those things and they become, as one scientist said, one Christian scientist, the trinity of trinities. In the beginning, beginning is time. It consists of three things, past, present, and future, trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Heavens is space. It's rooted and founded in threefold manifestation, length, width, and height, the trinity. And he created the heavens and the earth, that's matter, and that is solid, liquid, and gas. The trinity of trinities found in those 10 words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and if we can, cannot understand that the God of the universe as a creator has to operate outside of that, it's just like this computer. This computer was created, let's just say by Apple, but the guy who created it is not in it. He's outside of it and it's influenced. See, God is omnipresent. So he's outside of it, he's in it, he's through it, he's beneath it, he's above it. And, and that's the beauty of like Psalm chapter 139 when he talks about that transcendence and his sovereignty. He talks about a, a man when he sits down, he's there. When he stands up, he's there. He knows the words that he speaks before he speaks them. He was in that innermost dark place in the womb when you were created and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. All of that paints this picture of this sovereign God. And here's the beauty. It takes less faith to believe that than it does to believe any scientific proposition that he just simply created he spoke it and he operates outside of that and if he didn't then that would mean somehow within my three pound mind I could explain him can I tell you something if I could explain him he would not be worthy of my worship so the same is true here this book of life so there's this book of living. This is what a person asked me. How can God know? There's a book of the living, as it translates, where every single person who is ever created is logged into. You say, why does this even matter? Romans did this. They kept re amazing record keepers. Jews did it. When we find in the book of Esther, for example, when uh, Mordecai saved you know, the kingdom, if you will, from an overthrow, that there was a time that they went back and they read the books that were written showing what he did and then he was rewarded for that. When you and I stand before 
uh, Jesus at the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged out of a book depending on whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. That's settled. We're judged out of our works based upon the rewards and the crowns that we receive so that we can cast them at his feet as a gift back to him. It lines itself up with the Hebrew marriage. However, because we're talking about this, those who don't accept Christ, in Revelation chapter 20, when we get there, they're going to be judged, and listen to this, don't miss this, but at the great white throne judgment. And, and their judgment is not a matter of if they can get in or if they can. That was already settled before they stand there. And it's a matter of judgment. Why? Because the Bible says he's given him the name which is above every other name. And there is no other name by which men must be saved. And every tongue will confess, every knee shall bow. Every person that's ever been born, judged at that, that's not already been redeemed, will stand before him for the, for the moment to transpire to see if their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And of course it will not be if they're standing there. And then they're cast in the lake of fire. Do you know who the first three that are going to be cast in the lake of fire? The trinity of Satan. That's right. And they will be cast in the lake of fire first. So that should give you some understanding of this whole process that we're talking about with the Antichrist. And then something profound is going to happen. I believe every name that was not found written in the Lamb's book of life that are cast in the lake of fire, I believe at that point, their names will be erased as if they never existed. And why does that matter? Let me tell you why. This, this is profound to me. It's profound. Because the Bible says that when that happens in judgment, we will be there. And something profound happens in Revelation 21 and 4. And then he shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things are passed away. Behold, I see him sitting upon the throne. He's making all things new. Why are we crying? We're crying because we will be there when all of those people, one by one, are cast away to hear those words, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. And we will be weeping. Because Ezekiel 33, I shared it with you on Sunday. There's no doubt there will be some of those people that will be standing there that day that we were supposed to have reached. So Mark, why are you telling me this? Why does he wipe away the tears? Oh, because if he couldn't wipe away the tears at that moment, that wouldn't be heaven. I would be carrying that burden of my failure, of my inability to, to, to share Jesus with that person. And, and once their names are taken away, they are forgotten forever and forever and forever and forever. And, 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 and I, I know that doesn't feel right in some of our cases. No more than Ezekiel 33 felt right on Sunday when I preached it and I told us that if we're the watchmen and we sound the trumpet, if we tell people of Jesus and they don't make the decision to receive Christ, the Bible says he'll, he'll hold that on their account. The blood is on their hands. That's between them and the Lord. We did our part by sharing the gospel. But if we don't sound the trumpet and we don't tell people about Jesus when we should, and the Bible says he will count that to our account. He will hold that to us. The, their blood is on our hands. 
And, and, and what does that look like? I think just when we stand before, the Bible says we don't know what we'll be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. So this, this, this idea of knowing those people that we failed to reach, and I'm telling you all this because this is the part that we need to be talking about that presents a sense of urgency in you and I to go out and tell people. It's not enough to just come in and learn it. It's not enough to sing about it. It's not enough to, to, to give tithes to spend it. It's, it's got to become personal to where we go out and we say, hey, I care enough about you to tell you that Jesus loves you and he wants to save you and he's died for you. Uh, I was at a concert the other night getting ready to speak and Guy Penrod was singing and he made a statement that, that, that rocked me. I never heard this said this way. It may be not so profound to you. He said, do you realize when Jesus hung on the cross, he died at that moment for your future sin. And, 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 and the reason I had it really rocked me that way is because it helps me to understand this idea of Jesus paying for our sin debt in full and it being a finality, it being the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath upon men was put upon his son. He became our sin. He didn't die only for you, he died as you. And when it was paid and he died and then three days later he got up defeating death, hell, and the grave, Paul said to Corinthians, he said, now we can put on immortality that would bring about that saying which is written, no death is swallowed up in victory, a grave, where's your victory, of death, where's your sting? That's the hope that we have is that he paid for our sins in the past that we would yet to co commit in the future. And so what can separate me from the love of God? Neither death, nor light, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things past. Nothing can separate me from his love. And that's what I take through life. That's why what we're doing matters. That's, we're, we're up here. This is a, this is a moment of, of, of practice. I used to say that church was game day. No, church is practice to go out there and game day and share the gospel and tell somebody before it's everlasting too late. And if you don't, then who will? And if not now, then when? The end. Let's start. Y'all ready? Listen, it's, it's important. And it's important to understand and to be able to answer simple things. And some of the answers we can answer is simply this. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And that there is this concept of a finite mind that we cannot explain it away. But if, if the Bible says it, I'm going to accept it. I would rather live to that by the, by the measure of the word than I had lived aimlessly out there and just hope I figure it out. And I told a guy, and you, you know this, some of y'all said this too, uh, Gary, there was a guy that I witnessed too, and I know, I know Michael and told me about him, y'all know him, and, and, and we had this long conversation, he's an atheist, and I'm thinking, okay, let, let me play the silly game with you for just a moment. What if there's no God? What if there's not? What if we just die and that's it? Then guess what? I have lost nothing. That means I've lived a life and I've, I've, I've depended on something that didn't exist, but that maybe helped me get through life in the context of faith. Maybe I gave money to a cause and it really is not a cause attached to a being because if God's not real, then it's not real. And, and maybe I went to church and hung out with some amazing people, talked about some things that just made us feel amazing, even though they're not real, because you say they're not. At the end of the day, I die, I've lost nothing. And it was a little bit of fun on the way. But if you're wrong and you live your life as though there is not one and he is real, you're going to stand before him and you're going to be forever, forever condemned. And, and, and guess what? I can live with that. I can live as though there is one even if there's not. And, and by the way, there is. 
and I, and I bank my faith and my life and my hope and everything on it. Y'all thought y'all came for a Bible study, but here we go. Do y'all, are y'all with me tonight? Somebody say something. Listen, it's, it's worth it. It's, it's all worth it, and I've lost nothing to give him everything. I talked to a guy the other day that was uh, using, and I said, do you realize you have, you have risked your life for that stinking peel? Man, risk your life for Jesus, man. Try it one time. Be all in. All right, Revelation 3. Yeah, you say something? Amen. Praise God, Dustin. We were talking about you last week, how much we loved you and appreciated you. Verse three. There was something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I saw one of his heads, speaking of this beast, the second beast, and his head as if it had been mortally wounded. His deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And I wrote this down. One of his heads as if it had been mortally wound. This is a head wound, a mortal wound, not a superficial injury. We see that here. Perhaps it is a result, as I said last week, of God's first judgment against the beast itself. But watch this. This is what I want you to get. His deadly wound was healed. This recovery of the beast, and I use the recovery in quotes, is increasing his fame. That's a fill-in on B there on three. It's an it's, it's a increasing of his fame and authority and I put parenthetically, because all the world marveled, it says, and followed the beast. Now, why do I tell you that? Because this wounded head, this healed wound, mortal wound, this is truly the Antichrist. We talk about the spirit of Antichrist, right? Little a. Spirit of Antichrist is at work now. Uh, even, even We talked about last week, and I asked Rex this, and there, there's a belief, I, I stand on that belief too, that the Antichrist, the guy, uh, maybe was is a living man now, maybe even, quite frankly, unaware of what his fate will become. There's indication with Judas that Judas was a normal guy, obviously, but at some point in time, he was possessed uh, by Satan, and we, we see that. So is that how this is going to play out? It's quite possible. But he also uh, imitates Jesus, even in this, his death and his resurrection. The world will believe this and it will add tremendously to his fame and to his power. Now look at this in verse four. It says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, quote, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? It's interesting how quickly people are gonna gravitate to this guy. You'll, you'll find out later as we get to the end of this spectrum that there's gonna be this period of time the rapture of the church will happen. Uh, those who are in the church will be called up, the bride of Christ, to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, which is why I said we will be at the great white throne judgment with him. We'll ever, forever be with him. Uh, and then, of course, at the end of this tribulation period, uh, we'll see a period of time that will begin, the thousand-year millennial reign. Satan will be locked away during that time. And then at the end of that, this is what blows me away, and it ties to this. What blows me away is that even after a thousand years of him not being a part of our life and interaction and, and all the things that are going to transpire, the Bible says that he will be re-released for a short time and that there will be a number that will follow him that no man can count. That that, even after being absent of that, what, what does that speak to? It speaks to humanity. It speaks to our nature, our, our, our sin nature, that there's this propensity 
Listen, here's the problem we have, and this is why we fall. We think that once we get saved, we're above this idea of sinning, that we kind of get a little bit braggadocious, a little bit maybe spiritually cocky. But the truth is, is our propensity to fall is ever-present in this life. Paul spoke of it as a war that went on. I don't want to do those things. Those are the things I find myself doing, the things I want to do. I don't do them. That's the writer of of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. And and somehow we get this mindset that once we get in church and we start singing for the Lord and we start serving and we start giving and Lord forbid we keep the nursery, hallelujah, thank you God for those people, that there's this point where we rise above it. The, the, The problem with that is that really speaks more to your pride, which he says Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. We have to be careful and understand the war that's going on. Uh, Cody shared this with me. A guy named Ed Newton is a pastor that we have followed. David's uh, been to, some of the students have been with him. Ed's a great preacher, and he said there was a uh, little boy that, and I'm paraphrasing, I might get the details wrong, but you'll get the gist of it. There's a little boy that uh, often as we preachers get to, embraces children that draw during our sermons and oftentimes they'll draw us on the stage and it's really cool that uh, when they do and they take the time to do it and they bring it to you and I have several of those that I've kept in my Bible in my office and one Sunday Ed was preaching and at the end of the service this young man walked up to him and gave him a picture of him on the stage preaching and it had his clothes, the color, and so forth, and maybe the, the podium in which he, from which he stood, and, and then there was these two other figures on the other side. He said, who are, the, who are these people? And kind of smiled. He thought they were maybe choir members, and he said, I don't know. There was just two guys fighting over you the whole time you were preaching. And, and I mean, it's very real. It's not something to be afraid of, but, but we had better be informed. You know, he says, be not ignorant, of Satan's devices. That word devices means his strategies and, and, and what he is doing, what he, what he wants. I talked to a, to a precious mother today that kind of was the exact same thing. Maybe it even was sparked by something I said. And she said her daughter was, you know, having, having these anxieties and fears right when she would go to bed. And, and, and guys, I'm going to tell you, this is very real, but it's not something you have to be afraid of. You can take authority over that. And, and furthermore, your child who's redeemed can take authority. I don't mean play with it. I don't mean communicate to it. But I mean go into that room. Mamas and daddies, listen. I say this all the time. If you're not praying out loud over your children in their bedrooms before you tuck them in at night, go do that. It's so powerful to, to declare truth over their life. See, the enemy comes at us with the lie. And Billy Sunday said it this way. Billy Sunday said, all you do when a lie comes is you turn loose truth. It covers it, right? And he said, truth need not be defending. It's like the lion. You just turn it loose, it'll defend itself. And so what we do as, as mamas and daddies, I mean, we're not going to send a soldier into the battlefield without his weapon. Give him, give him his spiritual weapon. Give him the word of God. Go through and there's an app called Abide. And it may not work for everyone, but the app is called Abide. 
and I love it. It's, it's absolutely 100% the word of God. That's all that it is, but it's this person speaking over, you know, they'll read the scripture and they'll, you know, if I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, Psalm chapter 139, you know, verse 13 or whatever it is, 23, and it starts talking about all of that and it says, you know, do you realize who you are in Christ? And it speaks those promises over your life. So I say that to say, when, when, when if we're not careful that we give so much merit into the enemy. And let me offer you, let me offer you something else too. Just, just feel like the Lord laid this in my heart. We are the reason that the enemy comes into our home because we've led him. And in many cases, and I say this not in judgment, I say this in love and in education of the moment, is we invite him. I share with y'all the lady that, that, I don't know if we have any kids in here tonight, do we? The lady who had the, um, I didn't share this on Sunday because of the nature of it, but there was a lady who had a little girl who was having dreams. And uh, I've heard this twice, two separate towns. This is what's so weird. But a little girl was having dreams of, of something, these demons, um, who, she said this, she said their fingers were, were made of knives. And they were being, she was being sucked into this hole and they were holding on to her. And the reason the knives were there was because if she pulled away, they, they cut her legs. And if she didn't resist, then that meant she would go into this hole in this pit. And this was the dream that she kept having over and over and over and over. And her precious mama, bless her heart, she, she called me and was telling me. And so I, I think I told this on Sunday a week ago or whenever. And I said, I went to her house and precious people and I mean just just good people and and after we got to talking about it and I started asking about things and we prayed over her her home we prayed over her her room we prayed over her doors we prayed over her windows we we just prayed and just kind of took authority over that and um the mom was like, I said, is there anything that you guys, is there a Ouija board? Is there some kind of some, some kind of idol, some kind of thing? I mean, all these things that we can invite in. And she, no, no, no. About two days later, the mama called me back crying. She said, I got to meet with you. And she came into my office and she said, I want to let you know, I am a horror movie buff. And I am watching. And she began to name these movies that she watched and had copies of them in her filing cabinet. She was watching them like, like, like Insidious and, and The Conjuring and all these, The Exorcist. I'm like going, Get that junk out. That's the gateway. And, and, and I say that again. I don't know why the Holy Spirit's really pressing me to say this tonight because that doesn't really apply to this other than the fact that, that our propensity to fall is, is innately built within us. I said in 4A there, I said, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. As people worship the beast and bow down before his government, um, it may be that they do not know they are bowing down to Satan himself, which is really neither here nor there. Just understand that, okay? Um, but it is worship of Satan nonetheless. This clearly is worship both of the beast and the dragon, but their worship of the dragon may be unknowing. Now watch this. Satan's worship becomes more and more popular each year as these 42 months, the second 42 months go on. It is still only a tiny fraction of people who openly worship Satan today. But this is because more people expect Satan to appear with ugliness and horror. And so I wrote this down. I just wanted you to have this. This is wrong. For Satan himself uh, where, where'd I go? transforms himself into an angel of light 
This is the verse. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers also transforms himself into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. That's 2 Corinthians 11. I got that written down. So I just I want you to understand. I said this a few weeks ago. Don't go through life thinking that Satan is the antithetical or he's the counterpart to Jesus. He's not. Because if you do that, you, you catalog him over here as this ugly thing. Listen, if sin were ugly and as frightening as we have made it look as we've you know, caricatured this in our mind, we would never sin. It's become beautiful to us. It's wonderful to us. It appeases the flesh. It, it, it fills the need of right now kind of mentality that our culture desires so much of. He fixes it now, right? Whereas we as Christians, sometimes we have to wait and we have to, that's why it's called perseverance of the saints, right? We have to persevere through the difficulty. And so I, I just want you to understand that. And then it says in the verse, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? The question that's raising up, the world would be amazed at his power of this beast and will believe he is so mightily that he cannot be conquered. Now watch this, for a time, the beast will look like a tremendous winner or victor. When he blasphemes Jesus and persecutes God's people, they will appear to be complete losers, but only for a short time. And, and, and why this is important is because I think we have already, as God's people, before all this happens, we've already been reduced to the biggest laughing stock in our culture. We are the punchline of all the jokes. Politically, politically, we are viewed as absolute idiots. We are viewed as conspiracy theory. And see, this is how the enemy works. How does, he, how does he work? He's coming through all of these. No, he is in plain view. He's right in front of us. They're, they're not even apologizing for it anymore. It's, it's in plain view. And, and I want to just throw this out there. Be careful. Remember I told you from, from the beginning, Satan's M.O., at attacking Jesus, and therefore I believe his MO in attacking Jesus' people is, is to cause you to question your identity. What did he say to Jesus? If you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you be the son of God, throw yourself off, so forth. So what is he doing? As we approach a, a season where demonic activity is much more prevalent, be careful that we allow ourselves to create an atmosphere where we cause our children and our families and our culture to question their identity because it's very real. You, you can fill in the blanks there. Verses five and six, as he was given a mouth speaking great images and blasphemies, he was given authority to continue for 42 months and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. Notice that last part. The speaking great things uh, blasphemies may be more accurate than just simply the title of Antichrist. He is a blasphemer, right? For the end times dictator, he will be the blasphemer. He will be the one who speaks against God and everything God stands for, his name, his tabernacle and all of those who dwell in heaven. He was given authority to continue this for 42 months, which is that, that three and a half years. The beast continues without restraint by God for a period of those 42 months, all right? The duration of period shows that the beast has full reign, limited by God, for the first full three and a half years of the seven years. And during the whole time, he is still, however, under God's authority. Don't, don't miss that. It's like saying, is the Holy Spirit not here during the uh, tribulation. He is. 
But the dispensation of grace that we operate under now, and remember, dispensation is just a fancy way of saying, how does God see his people? He sees us through the lenses of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. So we're saved by grace through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We live by faith. We are justified by faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so we have to understand that. During the, this time, the only way people will be able to be saved is to endure and ultimately, I believe, be beheaded for their faith. And there's only one course currently of people who behead for those types of things, and that's the Muslims. They're existing, and that is the practice. That is the nature through which they kill and destroy infidels. Why does the beast blaspheme those who dwell in heaven? I believe this is one of the beautiful things that comes out of this, is that he's speaking against those who were taking up in the rapture because we are out of his reach. I'm so thankful. There's so many things, guys, and I have, I've said this a hundred times and I'll just keep throwing it out there. We're not appointed under wrath, but under salvation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. Jesus said in Caesarea Philippi, if I build my church, the gates of hell will not what? Say the word with me. Prevail. We're not, listen, once we, let's see, what is it? Uh, Revelation chapter three and verse five, when he's talking, writing a letter to the church at Sardis, he talks about their deadness and there's only one hope for them and that is that they repent. But then he says, but those who've overcome, whose names are in the book will not be blotted out. It speaks to the doctrine of eternal security. And, and you know, we, we throw it out there and this is where we've made a mistake. We throw it out there and coin phrases like once saved, always saved, Right. And, and, and people say, well, that's not in the Bible. But eternal security is, is intertwined throughout the New Testament. It has to be, right? We're, how many mamas and daddies in the house? Wow, man. That's why we had 150 kids this Sunday. And I think 40 of them were in the nursery. Just a show of hands. How many of you, your child has ever done something? I know the little ones. Well, yeah, even little ones too. They're, they could be kind of crazy, right? How many of your children, mom, this doesn't apply to you. How many of your children have ever failed you or made you upset in any kind of way? Raise your hand. <laughs> Some of you are sitting next to your kids and going, I want to raise my hand so bad. And I shared this, I shared this with y'all. Rex knows this lady, but I won't call her name just because I don't have permission to. There was a lady whose son committed a heinous, was convicted for, for committing a heinous murder, was sent to Jackson, and was on death row. Do you know that the mom of that death row inmate went over to Jackson every single Sunday until he was put to death? Do you know why? Because that was her son. That was her baby. Mark, how could a mama, oh, oh, let, hear me. If it's your son or daughter, it's your son or daughter. That's the beauty of Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal, right? When the prodigal come back, remember what he said? If I can just go back to my father's house, I, I can just be a servant. When he came back to the father, he told the father that. You know what the father did? He wasn't hearing it. 
He kissed him, he hugged him, he got a robe, he got a ring. Speaking of sonship and authority, he put shoes on his feet saying, you're not a servant. You know why? Because he was saying, you're not my son because you're worthy. You're my son by birth. That's right. Listen, you don't, that mama didn't un, unmother that child and you wouldn't unmother yours. And if you think, remember we talked about finite and infinite. Do you think that in our finite mind, if we can love our children in that, how much more an infinite God with an infinite love can love us in our failure? There's nothing that can pluck you out of his hand. He says that. Now, why do I tell you that? I don't tell you that. Well, praise God, man. I can, and that, that, that kind of begs the point of, of, of reference where the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But don't stop there because the question was not, not left there. The question came back and said, well, okay then. If sin abounds, I'm sorry, if grace abounds, if grace is present, if grace is more uh, out in, in sin, then let's go on sinning. He said, forbid not. Why? Because even though I'm in my, my humanity and even though I have the propensity to sin and I'm forever wrestling against this, 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 this nature, I'm no longer bondage to sin. See, when he died and he made me free, he says, Mark, I made you free indeed. And man, I, I looked up that word and it means entirely. I don't, I don't have to be afraid of that, that, that sin anymore. I heard, uh, gosh, what's his name? The guy that speaks on Revelation a lot. Um, turning point, somebody help me. David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah made a statement one time that I just did not like. It, it bothered me so much because I didn't understand it. He said the turning point, and that's the name of his ministry, the turning point in his life, and this is why he calls it that, was when he realized that he was a sinner saved by grace. And he didn't stop there because he's heard that his whole life. He said, but my turning point, the turning point in my life was when I realized that I would sin again and that I had freedom to do so. And I thought, that, that's a license, man. That's dangerous to tell people of God. He, and, and he comes back with this. He said, no, because then I was able to operate in the liberty. Galatians says, stand fast in the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ has set you free. And listen, and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Right. Right. See, sin is bondage. Right. Iniquity. But, but, but I love the fact that 1 John 1 9 exists for me is that when I see, how many of y'all sin today? Let me give a show of hands. We're taking names. Me too. So you know what I do before I come in here? You know what I do when I go home? You know what I do tomorrow? You know what I, it's, it's like, I say, I'm thankful for 1 John 1 9. I'm thankful for that. That if I confess my sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. You know what that means? I get an opportunity. Again, don't take this the wrong way. Don't use this the wrong way, but embellishing the promise that's within it. That means every time I sin, how many of you are married? How many of y'all, how many of y'all love having an argument with your spouse? Really? Why? Okay, I mean, I'll play on that. I'll, I'll go for it. Why? Tell me, Tommy, tell me. Because you get to make up, right? Woo! That's, that's the way guys think, women. We really do. We're like, you're arguing at us. We're like, well, I didn't do it. We really don't care. We know makeup's coming. 
We can't wait. What this verse says is that when I sin, I get to go back before the throne of God and he gets to make me new all over again. I'm like going, that's a good deal. That don't imply that we should keep sinning, right? But, man. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, how my Lord. Verse seven and eight. It was granted to him to make war. Granted, underline that. Shows God's authority over him in that moment. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Who's he talking about? Talking about the Jews. We're talking about, did he overcome us? There's, there's, maybe there's some deaths, but overcoming, watch what he says. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. That's the Lamb's book of life. Watch this. Um, slain before the foundation of the world. I'm, I'm going to end with that tonight, but I'm going I'm to read on. So A in your, your notes, it was granted him to make war with the saints. Revelation 12 described the broad phenomenon of satanic persecution during the tribulation period. Here, the main instrument of that persecution is revealed. The government of the beast will persecute and kill all those who do not bow down and worship. That's what I said a moment ago. See, today we have an opportunity to accept him in grace through faith in the comfort of this room. Even if you were to go to the degree of the person in Ethiopia or in Africa or, or Mogadishu or, or what have you that, that maybe don't operate in an air-conditioned building, they still today operate under the sweetest and most precious thing man has ever been given, which is grace. These people do not have that pleasure. Now, here's the problem. So, Mark, why does the Bible say that people who heard the truth and rejected the love of the truth, why are they damned? Why will God send them strong delusion that they'll believe a lie? Why, why is that? Why does, why does God do that? I'll tell you why. If you can't accept Jesus Christ under the wooing of the Holy Spirit, under the banner of grace, don't think for one minute you'll die for your faith. Because he's not asking you to die now. Paul, Paul told the church at Rome, he said, I urge you, I beseech you, brothers, that you become a living sacrifice. And, and, and that's the part. Let's, 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 go back to, let's go back to the husbands and wives. There's not a wife in here that wouldn't think that her husband would take a bullet for her. I don't, I don't believe, I mean, if there's any rationale within the room, they'd say, yeah, my husband would. He'd step in front of a bullet for me. But here's the interesting part. If I, if I go beyond that, I would say, really and truly, there's not a wife in here that wants her husband to take a bullet for her and die for her. What they'd rather have is him live for her. And what, what we see in this context is, is that if, if I can't, and understand something, when, when people, when people are, are left behind having heard the truth but rejected it, 
the, the, the technology that exists currently that will be implemented during that time is going to be encapsulated within the most sophisticated tracking system the world has ever known. And it exists now. If you don't believe me, go on to your social media tonight and start talking about the need for a carport. And tomorrow, wake up and you're going to have news feed with advertisements of carports. They know who you are, where you are, when you are moving from here to there. You don't believe that? Man, Stephanie and I were out of the country and I was going to check the weather here because there was something going on and I pulled it up and it goes, blue dot, there you are. Hey, you going to go one step further? Go back and there's, I don't even know how to do this, but y'all can Google it, figure it out. You go back into your your settings and and, and you can even go back and say places I've visited. And you didn't tell it to know that. So what's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to be able to track people. You won't be able to get away from it. Not you. you won't, how many of y'all are going to be in heaven? You won't be here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But, but no one will be able to escape. Uh, hey, we're, we're almost time. Let, let me finish this, this thought. I love this. This helped me so much. Jesus was the lamb slain before. Everybody say before. before. The foundation of the world. Do you realize that means that in heaven, before God created the heavens and the earth, the Trinity had to have had, if we can personify it, let's put it where we can understand it, there would have had to have been a conversation in heaven to where the Father looked to the Son and said, we're going to make these people in our image and our likeness And they're going to be the hallmark of our creation. They're going to be the most amazing, beautiful beings. And we're going to give them a soul. And we also have to give them free agency. Choice. Because we love them that much. And, and, And again, this is, give me a little liberty here. If there would have been a dialogue there with perhaps me and my son, I won't say father and son because they're one. But if it had been me and Tyler talking, maybe Tyler would have said, Dad, why, why do we have to give them free agency? Why don't we just make them love us? Well, if you make them love us, Tyler, they'll be robots. Because really, love is only love when you have the choice of hate. Right? Yes is only yes if you have the choice of no. And then the son, and let's use me and Tyler again because Jesus wouldn't have done this. I looked at Tyler saying, oh, by the way, what you're going to do is you're going to die for them. And they're going to reject you. And they're going to despise you. And they're going to hate you. And they're going to call you names. And they're going to beat you beyond recognition. And you're going to die Naked and bloody and beaten beyond recognition. Your own earthly mother will not know you. She won't recognize you. And Tyler looked at me and said, I'm willing to do that. And it was settled in heaven that he was slain before he ever created man. 
He knew he would fail. He knew you would fail, yet he said yes. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you that um, these things that we're talking about are not things we're going to have to go through and endure, but there are those who will. And that you have given us the Great Commission in five explicit places to share the gospel and to preach the word and to sometimes use words, to love people the way you love us. And you tell us in your word that if we don't love people, that your love is not in us, that we are a liar. So God, help us today to display that love on a stage that's meant for you, to be your hands and your feet. God, it's a privilege of ours to do so. Bless us now as we go. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.